following teaching is brought to you by Calvary Bible Church in Burbank, California. We trust that this recording will be a benefit to you and will be a challenge to your Christian faith and walk. For more information about Calvary Bible Church, see our website at calvarybiblechurch.org or call us at 818-556-4840. Morning. It's always good to see all of you and come back home. Calvary Bible very much has been our home church and has been a, uh, a great blessing to us. Uh, I can remember, uh, I, first of all, I don't actually remember myself this instance, but my wife, when she was four years old, uh, over 50 years ago, uh, she went ahead and uh, came down the aisle and accepted Jesus Christ as her personal Savior here in Calvary Bible Church. Uh, she grew up in the uh, elementary, junior high, high school um, Tony and I met and uh, fell in love, became, became married, and uh, had decided we're going to go be missionaries in Africa, and we're going to get ready, and we're going to uh, be trained, and so we went off to seminary to, to get the training, and uh, shortly thereafter, she became pregnant, and shortly thereafter, uh, the pregnancy began to go the wrong way. Uh, toxemia of pregnancy, that thing why they take uh, they go ahead and fill, have you fill a little cup and uh, go ahead and take your blood pressure just to make sure that's what you don't have. It's basically the baby begins to poison the mother. And so uh, 10 weeks early, Jason, our firstborn son, three pounds, two ounces was born. And at that time, uh, that was still pretty small. Uh, some chance that he wouldn't make it. But uh, uh, we rejoiced. And feeling God was in control and going to take care of all. And uh, then two days later, she had a massive stroke, uh, our, our, uh, my wife, Tony, and uh, suddenly everything changed. Uh, suddenly, uh, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good uh, was a little more difficult to say. Uh, suddenly, uh, they thought, first of all, she was going to die, and then uh, when she wasn't going to die, they thought she'd be paralyzed uh, for the rest of her life. And slowly by slowly, God, over the next year, uh, began to help her to recover, help her to be able to walk again, help her to be able to care for our son Jason, help her to begin to uh, even play the piano again. Uh, she'd been a, a major, uh, a, a piano major in in college. Um, during this time, we came back to California, and uh, we uh, began to. Uh, uh, I tried to continue going to seminary part time, working a little bit part time, and taking care of a sick wife and a sick, very sick baby, uh, full time. And uh, during this time, we uh, we just. Uh, continued to trust God that he was going to get us through. Trust God that he had called us to become missionaries, called us to be a pastor. And so we continued to believe that and uh, ask God, please help us each day to get through. And um, I remember seeing a little sign on the seminary poster board saying, Calvary Bible Church needs a uh, college pastor. So uh, I applied, and I, and I think out of graciousness, because Tony was my wife, 
they went ahead and accepted uh, me to be able to be the college pastor and for the next uh, several years as I finished up seminary and then continued to work as an assistant pastor. Um, I think in many ways uh, this church um, gave back to me much, much more than I was able to give to them uh, in terms of uh, people coming and helping us and in terms of counsel, in terms of mentoring, and in terms of training, uh, this was the place that uh, God used to prepare us to the point where when my father became ill with a cancer in 1983, uh, second time it had come back. Uh, This time uh, he had just about four months to live and uh, sort of said, well, if you're coming, you better come now. And uh, if you want it, I think you better... uh, Uh, become the missionary and mission director of the Lighthouse. And so here's a young pastor with a just barely surviving family, and uh, suddenly uh, I'm taking Tony by wheelchair out to Kenya, and uh, I'm not an eye doctor. Uh, I can talk ophthalmology quite well, having served for 30 years, and because my father was an ophthalmologist, uh, but I actually don't treat anybody and I don't actually do cut on anybody for surgery, and everybody's happy about that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, suddenly I'm called upon to uh, run a mission. Suddenly called upon, we have five small churches, we have a small little clinic, no doctor, and uh, but God raised up a, a doctor from Glendora, California, Dr. Dean Larson, to come out and keep that side of the work going. Uh, and uh, we then in the late 60s, we were able to get Kenyan ophthalmologists to keep the work going, and slowly by slowly, that the clinic has grown uh, to become one of the major service providers of eye care uh, in the country. Um, we continue to... Uh, also, we started a Bible school right after we got there. How are we going to build the church? How are we going to keep it going? Uh, uh, How does the church of Jesus Christ grow in especially a Muslim uh, place? Uh, Kenya is only 20% Muslim, 80% non-Muslim, but that 20% is all completely on the coast of Kenya, and so therefore the city is between 50 to 80% Muslim, and um, how do you reach a person who, first of all, thinks they have all the answers, probably one like one of your uncles and aunts, and uh, they go ahead and uh, they, th- they think that uh, Jesus is one of their prophets. They think that he died. Uh, he did not die on the cross, that he just swooned, he fainted, they took him off, he revived, he then moved on to India, married, had a great family, and continued a, a lovely ministry over in India. And so how do you tell people They'll never come to a church. They'll never consider entering the door of a church. But in Kenya, the people love to talk about their faith. They love to talk about religion, and it isn't offensive to them at all. And so we we have come up with a way to have a great big river of people flowing through which, which we can sit and fish for souls. And so uh, that's the purpose of the clinic. I know many mission hospitals have in the past failed 
in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. The need gets so big of in a third world in a third world setting oftentimes there's this huge press of people trying to come to your clinic trying to and pretty soon if you're not careful it just squeezes the evangelism out and and pretty soon the chaplain might visit once or you know a patient every once in a while and pretty soon you know most of the hospitals that we know started out as a uh uh that's my iPad just saying that it's time for Tony's medicine, so don't worry about it. I don't usually preach with an iPad, but uh, I figured let's give it a try. Uh, I'll have to remember to turn off the uh, sound effects the next time. But anyway, many hospitals. Uh, you know, we have a Hollywood Presbyterian Hospital. It used to be a great witness for Christ. We have, uh, we have many of the hospitals in America started out as a Christian mission witness and then has just slowly by slowly changed. And so how do we help a nation, a city? Help, how can we help large groups of people come to know Jesus Christ? And well, we have a passage that we're looking at today in Psalm 67. Psalm 67, it says, may, verse 1 and 2, May God be gracious to us and bless us, and make His face shine upon us so that your ways may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. Now, I know verse 2 was the primary passage to talk about, but having come from seminary, anytime it's something says, so that or that, you've got to go back a little bit to figure out what what, what is that referring to. And here is basically the high priestly blessing from Deuteronomy. And this is David. David is taking this passage and taking the high priestly blessing saying, uh, May the Lord God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face shine upon us. I mean, shining upon us. This is talking like the sun shines upon a plant. And as the sun shines upon a plant, if it has enough water and it has enough uh, nutrition and soil and fertilizer and all that stuff. I'm not a farmer. I, I can kill plants faster than most. And, uh, but I know that if you put that combination together, suddenly you can have a beautiful flower, a beautiful crop, a beautiful plant grow. And so he's saying, Lord, bless us. Something that all of us would want God to do. Bless me, bless my life, bless my money, bless my finances, bless my job. We want God to bless us. But here he goes ahead and puts it together with, so that, so that your ways may be known on the earth. The reason God has saved you, the reason God has saved me, is so that he can go ahead so that the world will get a glimpse of him. That's why he saved you. He didn't save you so you could come to church. Coming to church is a good thing and having fellowship with other believers is a good thing. But he is building a body. He is building a family. He is out there. The reason why he went to all the trouble of becoming man, Jesus Christ becoming man, God incarnate, he came here, he lived this perfect life. Why in the world go to all that trouble? 
is because he wanted a family. Is because he wanted to bring us into that family. And now, as he brings us into the family, and as we come to know him, as we become discipled, as Jesus Christ begins to become real in us, and as that begins to transform us, again, Christianity is not coming to, about coming to church. Christianity is about a relationship with God, with Jesus, and a relationship that is so vital and so important that it becomes the primary relationship of your life. Jesus said, you know, if you do not love me more than these, your father, your mother, your children, it becomes the primary relationship and as we, this primary relationship, the Holy Spirit begins to change us and transform us and that's why it is the typical testimony is someone saying, once I was lost, once I didn't know Jesus, once I, where, however early that started, whether for my wife, Tony, when she was four, or whether it's, you were 44, or 64. But at some point, you came to know the Lord, you had a past, and then you came to know Jesus Christ, and as you come to know Jesus Christ, you had to accept you had to have some sort of understanding. You had to understand that Jesus was God and you had to understand that you were a sinner and you had to understand that He went ahead and when He died on that cross, it wasn't just a very nice thing to do for the world, but it was literally paying the penalty of my personal sin. And as this, as we come to know this and as we then accept Jesus as the one and only way to come to God, And as we allow him to begin to rule us, he begins to change everything. He takes, he sort of goes in and, uh, you know, uh, a home improvement project. And he uh, walks into your heart and he begins to tear out all the things that don't honor him. And he begins to replace them with all sorts of wonderful things that do honor him. And suddenly your life is a new life. So that, not just, hooray, whoopee, my life is better, you know, I'm, things are a little better for me. No, he says, so that your ways may be known on the earth. As people look at you, and as people look at me, God is, God's intent is that they see Jesus. God's intent, they see Jesus. He wants so that people will look and say, wow, there's something about this person that is really different. There is something about this person that is strange according to my culture. Something, and something begins to bubble up and and to transform so that not only people begin to, Your ways may be known on the earth, but salvation may come to the nations. Salvation may come to the nations. How does this work? How does salvation come to the nations? Well, as I was thinking about that and praying about salvation's coming to the nations, uh, I began to see that 
God has all sorts of witnesses here in this world. First of all, God has the witness of creation. You're going to be having a seminar on creation. I encourage all of you to go ahead and take a look at it. Go ahead and be a part of it because it is an intricate part of what the Bible says is that God created the world. You know, we have another philosophy, a basically an atheistic philosophy that says there is no God and therefore I will come up with the best idea of how this all happened with the first decision is that I will X out God. God cannot be a part. God cannot be one of the reasons for any of this. So basically, if you X out the answer, you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. If you X out 4, you say you can't use it. Well, 3 and 2 or 5 or... They're close. You know, and if you can't use the answer, then... And so basically, evolution is the very best answer that the world can come up with when you've thrown out the answer. When you've thrown out what happened. God. Because very clearly, we find out that uh, in Romans 1, 20 to 21, he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Basically, you look at this beautiful sunset and God's intent is you gasp and you are delighted and you say, wow, what a wonderful creator must have made that. When we go ahead and see a beautiful flower, when you see a beautiful uh, beach scene, when you see a beautiful person, your first reaction should be, wow, what a wonderful God we've got. And so there is a witness before you ever open your mouth as a Christian, there is a witness already out there saying, God is there, God is real. Find him. And then secondly, the Bible says that God has not only put a witness outside in all of creation, God has also put a witness inside of every one of us. God has gone ahead and created in every one of us an understanding that there is a God, an understanding that what's going to happen to us when we die? Because... It's a completely foreign idea to that when you die, that's it. You're nothing. You know, the computer, you shut it off, you pull the plug, boop, and you know, suddenly, the, used to be we had a little green screen for, t- for, for televisions and stuff, and suddenly it all goes down to a little, and then boop, and it's gone. And, but as they say in the foxhole, there are no atheists. You know, suddenly when, Death is getting close. You suddenly begin to question. No matter what, you convinced yourself all your life saying there is no power. You know, when, when you die, that's it. That's nothing. And then as it actually starts to get closer, you begin to reevaluate because in our heart, you see, in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, he has set eternity 
in the human heart. In Romans 2.15 it says, They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciences also bear witness. Their thoughts sometimes accusing them and other times are defending them. God has put in man, inside, a place that only God can fill. And so we try and fill it with money and we try and fill it with possessions and we try and fill it with a job and we try and fill it with fame and we try and fill it with people and relationships and none of them fit. You know, it's the old round circle being trying to forced into the square peg. It, it just, it doesn't happen. It won't go in. It won't fit. And I say this to say, Christian Don't be afraid to talk about Christ. Don't be afraid to talk about God because we have the answer. We have what everybody is searching for. I know in America things are really changing. And I know that atheism is becoming a predominant part of our society here in the United States. But Whatever a person might believe or whatever he might say, it's only because he doesn't know. It's only, you know, Jesus, when he was up on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they they don't know. They don't know. And we have the answer. There's a third witness, and that, of course, is the Word of God. The third witness is is that God has written a love letter to every one of us. A love letter saying, I love you and I want to be a part of your life and I want you to be my child. A love letter. And in Romans 10, 14, how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them. It's a problem of missions. Is as much, you know, here is God, he can do anything. He could ride up in the sky like a skywriter, you know, an airplane going around and and he could ride up there, John 3.16. He could do any of that, but that's not the way he does it. The way he has chosen to make himself known is that the Word of God needs to be brought as seed to people through other human beings, through us. That's the only way it's going to happen. And God says, this is the way it's supposed to happen. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We have this word of God that penetrates like a two-edged sword. It, But my dad, who was a missionary before me, he went ahead and said, uh, unfortunately, many Christians, they go ahead and like the Old West, we've got our pistol in our holster and we draw it out and there are no bullets in the gun, and we click, 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 and uh, we say, uh, oh, you want, you mean, we're oftentimes absolutely astonished. Somebody says, I'd like to accept Jesus Christ. If somebody walked up to you today, just as you were leaving church, or maybe you get home, somebody comes up to your door, and they knock on your door, and they say, how could I accept 
God into my life? How could I come to know God? For some of us, it would be the most frightening experience we've ever had in our life. Because we know we ought to be able to tell them something. But we've never prepared for that point in time. So, God's, God, so God has a witness through creation all around us. He's got a witness inside of every single person. So don't be afraid to talk to people about God because they have a place in their heart that needs Him. And we have the Word of God, but also it very clearly says that there is another witness, and that is you and I. In Acts 1.8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What is a witness? A witness is just a legal term. You go to the court and they say, are you a witness for this case? And they, yes. So they get you up there and and they go ahead and they say, what did you see and what have you heard? What have you experienced about this case? They don't want to hear about, you know, if you saw a car wreck. They don't care if you know how the internal combustion engine works. They don't care. They just want to know, what did you see? What did you hear? So many, I know Christians sometimes, they think, oh, I, you know, I have to have memorized the whole Bible, or they might ask me a question and I won't know what to say. You don't have to tell anybody the whole Bible. All you have to do is know, once I was lost, and then I came to know about Jesus, and, the, and this is what I then accepted. This is what I then prayed. And suddenly something happened in my life and, and my life was completely turned around. And, and suddenly my life is so, so much better because Jesus Christ is in my life. You know, we have all sorts of people around us and that is what they are searching for. They are searching for something that is real, something that will truly transform, something that will help them in their problems. That's what they're asking for. So, you might say, well, how, Tim, in the world, how in the world would you ever go to a Muslim city and how would you expect to be able to tell a bunch of Muslims about Jesus and expect them to do anything? I can tell you, if you want to fail, then you will go and you will figure out everything you possibly can know about the Muslim religion and you will go ahead and then argue till you're blue in the face of why Christianity is right and the Muslim religion is wrong. And they'll argue with the best of them and in fact they may win the argument. Doesn't happen intellectually. It happens as people come over there and just show people extraordinary love and as they hear again and again and again, they know about creation. They believe there's a God and they believe He created the world. And they think they have the right religion that's going to fill them and it doesn't. It doesn't fill them. It doesn't. Uh, it's it's a works religion, just like the Pharisees of the Jews. They a lot of knowledge, but they didn't. They but it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't fulfill. It doesn't transform. It doesn't change them. 
And so we've set up to have an eye clinic where we go ahead and we just have this flood of people going by us. And, and uh, they come in to see the doctor. And as I said last night, I, our mosque leader came up to me one day and said, Tim, you know, you don't have to tell us about Jesus every single time I come here. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, maybe you'll learn something new. Who knows? Uh, we tell them again and again because I believe the gospel generally is something that you have to come to understand. You have to know something about. You can't just, by faith, believe. You, have, you put your faith, as it says in John 1, it says that we have to receive Him, Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God. You have to understand that. He is the Messiah, the sent one from God. He is the one who died on the cross for us. So it takes a little bit of understanding. And so we have a, our method. Our method is we go ahead and we, as soon as the people gather together, we get them all together and somebody gets up and gives them their personal testimony. It's very important. First of all, it starts out with once I was not a Christian. Because most Muslims are Muslims because mom was a Muslim and dad was a Muslim and grandparents were Muslim and great-grandparents were Muslim. Same thing in the Catholic Church and same thing in many, many religions. I am because it's what I was raised with. And we start out with, I wasn't. I had to choose. And then explaining the problems I had, saying, you know, I'm a human being too. My life was not perfect. I had all sorts of problems. This is why your problems are not bad. I know many Christians think, well, I don't want to give my testimony because, you know, you know, I didn't grow up in the church and and I did a lot of bad things and 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 uh, my life wasn't put together at all. Hallelujah! You've just joined the group of former. You know, Paul said once. We were murderers, and once we were liars, and once we were thieves, and once we were adulterers, and once we were... And then Jesus Christ came into our life. Not that we become perfect, but then He begins to change us and transform us. And that is our story. And therefore, here I thought it was the worst thing in the world that Tony had her stroke. And in many ways, it's one of the platforms in which she can walk around to Muslims... Muslims, they have been trained since youth to revere the old, the elderly, and to take care of the helpless. That's why they give alms every Friday to the poor and to the beggars. And so Tony sort of limps up to them, and she kind of gets around all of their defenses because, you know, she can say stuff that I can't say. She can go ahead and talk to them about Jesus Christ and they'll sit and they'll nod and be very, you know, they'll, they'll be courteous to her. If I tried to say some of the things she says, you know, I, I always say I'd probably get punched in the nose. But God uses your life. God uses your problems. God uses the troubles you've gone through. If you've gone through a divorce, if you have if your spouse has died, if you have lost a child, if you have had terrible financial problems, if you have, you can go on and on and think of every single bad possible thing that could happen and they happen to Christians. 
But the difference is, is that when they happen to an unbeliever, they fall into despair. They have no answers. They were climbing the ladder of success and they get to the top of the ladder and it's at the wrong and it doesn't give fulfillment. And we climb toward Jesus and all the difficulties and all the problems that we have, Jesus is there to walk with us through them. He's there to give us the strength to endure them. He's there with the answers to life. And so suddenly our stories are not meaningless. Our stories are the very thing that we can use so that we can say Jesus is real. And so we go ahead and have someone give it up and they they give a testimony. And when they give their testimony, they say, once I was lost, and, I, and, so, that, and so then we pay, continue on. Then from there we turn on the Jesus film. We want to get the Word of God into people. And how do you get the Word of God into a Muslim? Well, they're not going to pick up a Bible. But they are fascinated. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I wish Muhammad would have had the foresight and the thought to go on ahead and had a video made just like Jesus did on the Jesus film. <laughs> I say, well, you know, I... <laughs> This is a drama. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, that isn't really Jesus there. But it is telling the real story of Jesus. It is telling the word of God, which they have to hear again and again and again. Whether you were born again as a child or whether you were born again later in life, it was a process where you came to an understanding of who Jesus was to the point where you could then accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And then we have them come before a, a chaplain. We have men and women chaplains, some Muslims. Uh, men will listen to men, women will listen to women. And so we go ahead and at that point they talk to a chaplain and the purpose of the chaplain is a short period of time just make sure they would know how a person becomes a Christian, how a person becomes a believer. It isn't just walking into a church. It isn't getting dunked underwater, whatever, wherever they do that. It isn't. It is the basic gospel. We try not to damage the fruit. I know many Christians, they come over in missions settings and they'll go ahead and they'll go out in the marketplace and they'll boldly go ahead and preach and sometimes that's a very effective tool. Oftentimes with Muslims, it's not so effective. And uh, basically, uh, sometimes they go ahead and begin to talk. You know, if you're talking to a Muslim, two things you've got to be careful about. Don't ever talk bad about Muhammad and don't ever talk bad about the Quran, their, their Bible. Just don't do it. It doesn't, it doesn't help. It's just sort of like a red flag in front of a bull, you know, <laughs> come and hit me. And uh, they might. I had a good friend of mine. He went downtown. He was proclaiming that Muhammad didn't know what he was doing and somebody came up and hit him. Um, wasn't the smartest thing to do. Because we don't have to tell of why their life is wrong. We just need to point them to the truth. We just need to continually talk about the love of Jesus. We need to continually talk about what Jesus Christ has done. Just tell of all the wonders of Christ and it will wow them. It will cause them to want Jesus Christ. Uh, very quickly, I have a couple of illustrations. There was an old lady by the name of Sadie. Sadie was a Muslim woman, 61 years old. She came in to our, our eye camp, free eye camp, and uh, she was going blind with uh, cataract. 
Uh, in the equator, people can get cataracts a little earlier than maybe over here. Uh, but anyway, she was going, she was getting, uh, uh, she was had, starting to go blind with a cataract. So she uh, heard somebody give a testimony and she was sent into the clinic. At that point, uh, she was stood before, she went over and saw a chaplain. He explained the gospel of Jesus Christ and she admitted that she had had a Christian friend and they'd told her some about Christ before. And so she accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. She went in, she had her surgery, got a good result, could see very well, came back two weeks later. We had given her a Bible and already she had read, read through uh, much of the book of John. Excited that she now had a savior that loved her and not just one who condemned her. Uh, another lady was a lady by the name of Halimi. Halimi was a uh, Muslim woman, 30, about 30 years old, had two children. She uh, got into a bit of an argument with her husband. Her husband boxed her in the eye, accidentally damaged her eye, so she came into the clinic. Uh, we had to do a small surgery to repair her eye, and at that time she heard, a chap, she heard someone give their testimony. She watched the Jesus film with the other eye, and she went ahead and she was able to talk to uh, our woman chaplain and uh, she accepted Jesus Christ as her personal savior. Uh, she came back two weeks later, brought along her husband um, and uh, you know, uh, oftentimes in a Muslim culture you don't have the love relationship between a husband and wife. Oftentimes it's just more of a, it's a, more of a, uh, a contract of what she's supposed to do, take care of the children, what he's supposed to do. Uh, so uh, it was an accident that he had damaged her eye, uh, you know, uh, but in the end, uh, she, he heard the gospel. Uh, he wasn't quite ready to accept Jesus Christ as a savior that day, but he was so impressed, he said, well, she could begin to go to church, and, uh, which oftentimes would be forbidden. Uh, so, once again, someone else comes to know the Lord. Esther, a 30-year-old woman, uh, continually thought of suicide. It was always on her mind uh, that her... She, her she had not been able to go to school. Her parents hadn't had school fees. She always felt like a failure. And uh, so uh, then she got a little eye infection. She came to the clinic. to get. To, we gave her some medicine, take care of her eye infection, somebody. And there she heard a testimony. There she was told the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there she accepted Jesus Christ as her Savior. Came back two weeks later, brought her sister. And her sister accepted the Lord. And they left with the happy note saying, well, next time we come, we're going to bring our mom. And then after that, the next time we're going to bring our dad, and soon we're going, our whole family will be saved. Uh, it's what we do at the Lighthouse. We also have uh, churches, churches in which we're trying to train up um, pastors through discipleship, through uh, Bible schools, trying to train up so that uh, when we first got there, we have five churches. Now we have uh, 72 churches that we have planted. And so it's just a continual process. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. God is witnessing through creation, shouting out loud, I'm here. God is in the heart of that person, that next door neighbor that you think is, would never, ever be interested. In their heart, they're crying, they're empty. They need a savior. And they need the word of God and there's only one person probably that's going to be able to bring the word of God to them and that is you. That is me. God has called me to go to Mombasa. God has called you, for now at least, 
Maybe someday you should, you'll join me in Mombasa. But for now, at least, he's called you to Burbank. He's called you to Glendale. He's called you to North Hollywood to shine for Jesus Christ so that the nations can receive salvation. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time we can be together. Thank you for your word that teaches us we need a Savior. We need the Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would help us, that we would be that witness, that as you bless us, you would bless the nations as they see us, that they would hear the gospel and receive in Jesus' name. Amen.